Our scripture this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. I'm going to warn you, brother, we'll be going off script a lot this morning. All right. Do you ever... Do you ever just stop and think about the words that you're singing? Think about what they mean. I mean what they really mean. How they work their way into the depths of your soul and teach you something that you wouldn't learn any other way. And draw out from you praise that would not come out any other way. This morning, obviously, is Christmas morning. It's a unique morning. It is as unique at the beginning of Jesus' life as it was unique at the end of Jesus' life. We begin with a virgin birth and end with a resurrection. (laughs) God wants us to know, beloved, you know where I want to lock in this morning because we're going to see when we get to that verse, that is an unusual phrasing, is it not? It is an unusual phrasing for Isaiah to give to us in his prophecy. And so this morning, our text again is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, we thank you for giving this word to Isaiah over 700 years before Jesus was born. God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning and help us to understand this child that would be born to us and this son that has been given to us. God, we love you with all of our soul and trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. 
in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Another Christmas has come and gone. Most of us have already had our our time around the Christmas tree the last night or this morning. We're looking forward to Christmas supper. Some of y'all caught that. In our age and in our world, We are taught never ever to focus on the inside. We're taught to focus on the external. We're taught to focus on things instead of on people. We're taught to focus on results and doing whatever we have to do to get the result that we want, that we want. And we will go after that with all of our zeal. And we will wonder why it didn't work out the way that we intended it to work out. Our text this morning is a very familiar text. In fact, you've already heard it read twice in this room this morning. It is an amazing text. I mean, obviously, the the words of this text work their way into a number of our Christmas carols. I want us to lock in again. A child is born. Nothing unusual about that. Children are born, in fact, I'm going to go out on a limb, I am not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'm going to say that somewhere in the world right now a child is being born. Okay. Nothing unusual about a child being born. What makes this child unique is that he wasn't just born. He was given. He was given. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, well, if you'd hush and listen, you would. (laughs) If you can't say amen, don't say anything. All right. (laughs) That'd be something if I could teach Siri how to amen. (laughs) I'm going to have to turn this phone off. Oh, it doesn't want to go off. The point that I want us to understand this morning is that a son was given to us. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone that we have the gift that God wanted to give to us. For God so loved the world, he gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. 
God loved, I've taught you this in the past, a, a, a quick and easy way for you to share the entire gospel using only the, uh, John 3.16. God loved, God gave, we believe, we live. There's the gospel in John 3.16. That's all you got to memorize. That's all you got to memorize. John 3.16 and eight more words. And you're, you're going to be able to present the entire gospel. And, and able to use whatever else God might bring into your mind as you share the love of Jesus with other people. You know, on a morning like today, if you've already opened your presents and in one of those boxes you found a parka, okay, that is the gift you needed this morning, amen? Okay, you needed that gift this morning. And we, we think about what we need. As you get, you know, Adam and I had a conversation on Thursday. We spent the day together. And when you get to my age, not much more I need. Okay, I have everything I need. And I have most of what I want, and what I want that I don't have, I probably don't need, right? Most of us tend to focus on external things for what we need. But what we need more than anything else is salvation from our sin. We need a son to be given to us. And for the zeal of the Lord of hosts to accomplish this in our lives because we can't do it ourselves. Verse 7. Or I'm sorry, verse 2. If you remember a year or so ago when we studied through the, the book of Isaiah, we saw that chapter 8 ended in darkness. It was a bad time. It was a bad time in the kingdom at that time. But Isaiah, listen to me, beloved. Don't you love that God is always brutally honest with us? Amen? <laughs> you know, again, through Isaiah, though your sins be a trifling little thing, that's how we want to think about them, right? That's not what God says. Though your sin be as scarlet, though you be washed in the blood of your sin, God says, I will wash you in the blood of the Lamb, and I will make you as white as snow. God is brutally honest. He says, your sin is repulsive to me. Your sin is repulsive to me. And let me give you something even worse. There's nothing that you can do about it. There's no sacrifice that you can make. There's no amount of money that you can spend. There's no amount of rules that you can obey. And by the way, for most of us, we're not necessarily rule keepers. We just avoid breaking the rules that we think will make people start talking about us. Okay? We're more about avoidance than we are active obedience. In other words, we're more about passive avoidance of things that we think might be wrong in our lives than we are about actively 
doing what God tells us to do. You know what Jesus said? He gave to us the ultimate indication of being followers of Jesus. They will know that you are my followers when they see you on the street giving one another the secret handshake, right? No. They will know that you are followers of mine by seeing the, 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 the fish on, on the back of your car. For some of us, maybe, maybe not. He said, they will know that you are my follower by your love. By your love. Let me ask you a question, beloved. Is love active or is it passive? Well, in a lot of relationships, it's passive, and that's why that relationship stinks, why it doesn't work. is because love has been turned into something passive. They know I love them. I don't need to tell them. I don't need to do anything to show them that I love them. Jesus said that they will know that you love me by the way that you demonstrate my love among yourselves. That is an active thing that Jesus calls us to do. To be involved in one another's lives and to show our love for one another. Why? Because God says that this passage that Isaiah is talking about this time, He says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you're here in this room this morning and you testify to the fact that you are a Christ follower, that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you have bowed the knee to the babe at Bethlehem, then you are testifying, I have seen that great light. And I live, present tense, I live in a dark land and the light is shining on me. Most of us don't necessarily like to be in the spotlight. You know, I am not the most graceful man in the world. I can trip over a twig in the driveway. And what's the first thing you do when you recover from that trip? You look around to see who saw you. And if you're a teenage boy in the hall at school, you pray that whoever got, you got your eye on wasn't there, right? <laughs> that she didn't see it. We don't like being in the spotlight, but God says those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Okay? Listen. By the fact that you are here this morning, the light is shining on you. Because you are testifying to a world. There are people that chose to stay at home to stay in bed or stay around their Christmas tree this morning and to focus on something other than the reason that we have this holiday in the first place. And by the fact that you got up and drove past their, their house, hopefully honking your horn and waving at them. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. But by the fact that you drove past their house this morning, you are testifying to them that the light is shining on me. There is someone more important in my life than the guy at the North Pole. 
and the light is shining on me. Now, let me ask you a question. What's going to happen tomorrow morning? What's going to happen when we have to go back to work? Are we going to take that light with us? Because, listen, beloved, we live in a dark land, and God says the light is going to shine upon us. And then verse 3, he says there's going to be joy rather than anguish. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. Listen, if you're a farmer and and it's harvest time, you don't go, well, dad burn, I guess I got to go out into the field and harvest all that mess and take it to town and get me some money. You rejoice at the fact your hard work is paying off. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. What's the first thing you rejoice over when you're dividing the spoil? That you're still alive. Hello? That you're there to divide the spoil. That you're not the one who the spoil was taken from. And God says that great joy is going to come into our lives. Remember what the angel said? In Luke 2, he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Beloved, let me ask you a question. Is your life characterized by joy? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that for everybody in this room this morning, it is, or you wouldn't be here this morning, okay? You're testifying to the world that you got that joy, 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 joy down in your heart. I didn't ask you if you was happy. I didn't ask if, if everything in your life was turning up roses. I asked, do you have joy? Because the only way that we can find joy is in Jesus Christ. John 15, 11, Jesus told us His own mission. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Where's Jesus going to be in about six hours? John 15, where's Jesus going to be in six to 12 hours? He's going to be hanging on a Roman cross, writhing in agony. And yet He's able to say that I have joy. I'm not real happy about this right now. How do we know that? Oh, Father, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be so. But nevertheless, that's happiness, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's joy. And Jesus says, I want you to have my joy. I want you to have my joy. And the only way that you can have that joy is when the Holy Spirit quickens you and brings you back to life. Do you understand that if you don't know Jesus, if you have not publicly acknowledged Jesus, that you are, pardon the the pun on on a popular television show, you are walking dead. You are walking dead. The Bible says that before we come to Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are walking dead. We just hadn't got the memo yet. But Paul goes on to say that when we come to Jesus, we become a new creation. A new creation. 
And he tells us in Galatians, he tells us in Galatians 5, what's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, beloved? Joy. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And so our lives, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus is doing in our life, is filled with joy, even in the midst of times that we don't like. Verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Now, I want you to go back with me. I mean, that song, I, I, I remember when the impact had its first uh, concert. It's Mark Lowry. Mark Lowry was the first concert at the impact, and obviously Mark sang that song because it was a Christmas concert, and he sang that song. And I love that song. I want you to go back with me. I want you to put yourself in, in, in Mary's uh, place. We don't know who all was in the manger. Who all was in the stable when Jesus was born. We don't know whether it was just Mary and Joseph or whether there might have been a midwife there or somebody else at the, at the very outset of this thing. But either way, this child was born and they said, it's a son. Prophecy fulfillment number one. <laughs> a son will be given. Okay? Joseph, what is to be his name? You will call his name Yehoshua. Jesus. Emmanuel. Prophecy fulfilled number two. And this child hadn't been alive a minute yet. All right? This child hadn't been in our world yet a minute, and two prophecies, actually three prophecies have been fulfilled. And they lay that baby on Mary's chest. And can you imagine as she gazed into his eyes and whispered that sweet name for the first time? Jesus. 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 They go about whatever they're doing. Again, we don't know how long uh, it transpired between the birth of Jesus and when the shepherds showed up. But all of a sudden, these guys, these rough guys, okay? I mean, these guys are not dressed like I am, okay? They are wearing work clothes. In, in, in our mind, they would be uh, showing up with hard hats on and and work gloves, and if you shook your hand, you would, you would feel like you were kind of uh, sanding some of the, the rough skin off of, your, off of your hands because these are working men. And they come, and they get a knee in front of this child, and they worship him, and eventually they, they, they go out. And, and don't you imagine that Mary, men and women, husbands and wives, can you communicate with one another with just your eyes? Okay? The men are going, you're dead burn right, she can. <laughs> I know when I've done something wrong. And, mm. Can you imagine 
when the shepherds come in, Mary darting her gaze over to Joseph and her eyebrows communicating with Joseph, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's happening? What are we witnessing? What is taking place? And then all of a sudden, this passage from Isaiah and from Micah and from Joel and from Amos and from Obadiah and from Jonah and from Ezekiel and from Daniel and from Habakkuk and from Haggai and from Malachi, all of them begin flooding into their minds as they begin to understand and come to grips. Listen, moms, it was one thing for y'all when you was pregnant with your child, especially the first one, to anticipate all of the wonderful things that that child was going to be in your life. But it was something entirely different once that child had been born, wasn't it? It was different now. Before you were anticipating taking care of this child. For Mary, I am now responsible for the Son of God. I am now responsible for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How in the world do I raise up this child in the wisdom of the Lord when he's already got more wisdom than I'll ever have? And then being good Jews, they're in Bethlehem. If you're a Jewish boy, what's got to happen on the eighth day? You got to go to the temple. You got to go to the temple to be circumcised. And they walked into the temple. And two older people, notice I didn't say old, I said older, people walked over. Actually, they came running over. Simeon runs over, and he's just having a glory spell right there. And he says, Lord, bring me home. I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen the glory of Israel. There's that look from Mary to Joseph again. What's going on here? What's going on here? And then Anna, the prophetess, steps up. And she begins prophesying. And Simeon and Anna, they're telling Mary about who this child is. And then that fateful saying comes, doesn't it? I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Right now, Mary, I know that you're so in love with this little boy. And everything is just so wonderful. You've got your entire life ahead of you. But I want you to start preparing your heart because a sword is going to pierce your soul with this one. A sword is going to pierce your soul with this child. A son will be given. A son will be given. See, beloved, Mary knew. I mean, that's one of those things, right? That's one of those things. You're a mama. You're a... 14 to 18 year old girl and the angel of the Lord Gabriel comes and says Mary hail most favored one of God you have been chosen to give birth to Messiah 
And after you come to terms with that, oh, that's great. But there's there's that pesky Isaiah 53 in there, isn't there? There's that Isaiah 53 that talks about the, uh, what the Messiah was really going to be and what he was going to go through. And, and, and Anna and Simeon wanted Mary to focus on that and not to lose sight of the fact that this baby that you are circumcising this morning was born to die. This baby that you are circumcising is the son that has been given to us. I told you I was going to be all over the place this morning. All right, let's let's bring it in for a landing. In verses six and seven, Isaiah begins to give to us some some titles, some some names of this baby, and he says that the government's going to rest on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Let me go back to one word that, that, that I had to skip. Where he says this son will be given in verse 6. It's a word that everybody in here knows. In fact, it's a, a boy's name in our culture. Nathan. Nathan. If you know Nathan, in Hebrew that means he gave. He gave. The son will be given. And the verb tense indicates that the action is not only performed upon the subject, but the subject is part of the action. That is taking part in the action of the verb. And so even in the verb tense of this verb, Isaiah is telling us that this son that's going to be given is given to us for a reason. And then Isaiah says that he's the mighty God. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 18, John goes on to tell us, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. John is saying that when you look at Jesus, you have looked at God. He is saying that mighty God came to us nursing in the arms of the virgin a helpless baby. Why would John explain it to us this way? Because, John, listen, one of the things they teach you one of the first things they'll teach you in preaching school is select your text and make a beeline for the cross. Make a beeline for the cross. John spends the first five uh, chapters telling you about Jesus, and then beginning in chapter 6, John is in the last two weeks of Jesus' life. He's making a beeline for the cross. He wants you to remember that this helpless babe that laid in Mary's arms is the one, this son that was given as he is hanging once again helpless between two thieves, dying, pouring out his lifeblood for the salvation of all of humanity. 
and that He is exactly where God wants Him to be. And that He is exactly God because only one that was fully God and only one that was fully man could do what Jesus did. And He's also the everlasting Father. He speaks to us about His love. He is one with the Father in the unity of the Trinity. He has for us a love that will not let us go. You understand that? While we were yet sinners, Paul put it, Christ died for us. God gives to us a love that will not let us go. And again, in Romans 8, Paul says there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then finally, he's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. God wants us to understand that He came to bring to us the peace that only He can. Listen, beloved. Where did World War II start? A lot of people will say at a certain battlefield or in, in Poland or in a place like that. Let me tell you where World War II started. It started in Versailles, France at the treaty table where World War I ended because the Germans felt like they had gotten a raw deal in that treaty. They felt like things, that that treaty wasn't worth the paper that it was printed on. And so they began another war to get what they felt they were due. No piece of paper can bring to you peace. Only Jesus can bring to you peace. Only Jesus can show you that He is the mighty God, the wonderful Counselor, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is altogether sufficient for our hearts, our souls, our need, our pardon, our answers, our comfort, our hope. A son is given, beloved. He is what we truly need and want for Christmas. Will we embrace the Son that God has given to us?